said, I invite you to hear God's word this morning from the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. The first voice here is a, a woman, and she says this, Listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me, and the man says, Arise, my darling, come away, my beautiful one, for now the winter is past. The rain has ended and gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come, and the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. This is God's word. Listen. Look, why is that so hard for us? Every day, we are hustling and we don't even realize it. Our own version, we're striving for the good life. Why are you here in church? Is it because that's what a Christian does? Deep down, we all want to experience God. Isn't that the big reason why we're here? Because we really want to listen. We want to see him. But man, that can be so hard. It can be so hard to get out of uh, the habitual self. You know, the person who got up this morning and showered and and made breakfast, cleaned up breakfast, let the dogs out, peeked at your emails, you know, scrolled through some social media, maybe overthought some of your weekend interactions, and then got in your car, drove here. I have to say that I really got caught up in the outside of things, thinking Christianity is, you know, about believing the right things, being in the, the right denomination, the right church, behaving a certain way. And, and there's a place for all of that, but I got caught up in what I call the Christian hustle. And I missed the beauty that I so desperately craved. You know, the hustle is a striving, and, it, and it's really based on fear and shame. You know, we stuff down and, and re-narrate ourselves, curated. And often we're being led by fear, and, and, and I missed the curiosity of the glory of God revealing himself to us. And this is why I love the Song of Songs so much. I mean, some of this language might sound strange to us now, but it's really the scriptures in condensed form 
the whole story of scripture is told to us in the song. And it's told in the best way that we can enter into it through poetry, metaphor, typology. The story is told in allegory. And, and we're able in this story to, to see the unitive love of Christ for his people, his bride. The woman represents us. She also reveals an unseen realm. She makes visible the invisible. She's typologically pointing us to the city of God, Zion. And what she does is she stirs our longing for God's presence. That's what's real. God is coming for us. And so in the verse before our text today, our woman had just adjured us not to stir up or awaken love into the, until the proper time. Sometimes we, we try too hard to, to force things. And, and others maybe were just dreary and languishing in winter. Our senses are, are dulled. There's no grass or blooms to smell. We don't hear the birds singing or the voice of the children playing outside. We don't feel the sun on our skin. Everything we taste is canned or imported. Likewise, the promises of God can seem so far off, maybe disconnected from real life. I mean, they sound great, but right now, you know, whether we're caring for loved ones, aching in loneliness, coping to fight an illness, or maybe just slogging through the everyday mundanity um, in living our lives and stresses in them. You know, real life can rob us sometimes of our curiosity and our imaginations. When you're going through winter, spring doesn't seem real anymore. But it is. Sunday is coming. You know, what if it's exactly our curiosity and our imaginations that need to be awakened to, to see and sense real life? What if we need reminding to listen and look because spring is rolling in? So we begin with that exclamation, listen, look. It's a call to awakening. And we've got seven participles here describing her love. He is approaching, coming, leaping, bounding, standing, gazing, and peering. I mean, this is one active lover. We can positively say that he is awakening love in the perfect, complete number seven of ways. No mountain or hill will deter him. She compares her love to a gazelle, a young stag even. Before, she was languishing in lovesickness, and the whole scenery changes to answer that call. He's coming for her. And yet, it's interesting. As she first depicts this man like leaping and bounding to get to her, then it seems as he gets closer, his demeanor changes 
to standing, gazing, peering. Virility gives way to tenderness in her presence. And he pleads with her. He tells her about real life. This young stag is gentle with her as he beckons the woman to arise and come away with him, bookending his invitation with those words. Now, let's look at how he does this and, and what this tells us about real life. Let's look at what he calls her. My. These two letters put together convey a personal, exclusive belonging. She says it too. She says, my love is approaching. My love is like a gazelle. My love calls to me. And he calls to her, my darling. This is the fourth and fifth time he will address her with this endearment in the song, darling. The other instance, one other instance of this term used in scripture is in Judges 11.37. And it's when Jephthah's daughter asks to weep with her friends in the mountains for two months before facing her fate. Her darlings, the ones who are going to wander and weep with her, the ones who will arise and enter into real life with her. He calls her my beautiful one. She is his beautiful one, his gift. And now he's going to reveal to her that spring and all its beauty is here. The winter is past. Do you see it? She's also his dove. The dove is a reminder that his spirit is within her. It makes us think about Jesus' baptism and the dove descending. Or Noah on the ark with the dove coming back with the olive branch. This is why he can call her my. This man and woman picture a unitive love of Christ and his people. And he's already spoken all three of these endearments to her earlier. They seem to build in meaning as he addresses her here. My darling, my beautiful one, my dove. The bridegroom recognizes her and us as his gift from the Father to the Son in eternity. And we get to covenantally participate in the Father's great love for the Son by the Spirit. And the glory of the triune God is manifest in this. This is real life. The man is awakening love. And he invites her into the beauty of spring, beckoning her to action. It's time. Arise, he says. Come away, he says. And then he describes spring in bloom because their love is in bloom. Nature tells the story. Can you see the blossoms appearing in the countryside? Can you hear the turtle doves? cooing in our land? Can you taste the ripening figs? Can you smell the fragrance 
of the blossoming vines. When we read this, all of our senses are aroused with this invitation, giving us a sense that her very arising is part of this springtime. He wants to see her, to hear her, to taste her, to smell her. It's their land and their love to share together. And he is awakening her to see it. This language also evokes God's promise to Israel of restoration. It's the language of Zion. There's multiple echoes with the Song of Songs in Isaiah 35. And and we we see several in our text with uh, Isaiah 35, verse 2. The land will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, the splendor of our God. We see echoes of abundant blossoming and singing. And later in the song, there are more echoes here regarding Lebanon, which is temple language, and splendor. And maybe if if you're a reader of the song, you also recognize that earlier in the song, the woman identified herself as the wildflower of Sharon. Her splendor is his splendor. And all of this blossoming and singing and springtime language in our verses, it reminds us of God's promises to restore the land, to restore his people. You see, these verses are a gospel invitation known as Solomon's marriage proposal to the Shulamite. The name Solomon, it means shalom, peace, rest. Come away is an invitation to come to the true man of rest, the true Solomon. The gospel call is a marriage invitation And it's an invitation to be co-heirs of the promised land and fellow members of Israel, the people of God, in our land. This is how he sees her. This is how he sees us. How can we not be awakened to that? And yet, the man doesn't do all the talking. That's so apparent in this whole song, which is, opened and closed with the woman's voice, which is dominant throughout. We have a God who listens. More than that, he draws us out of ourselves. He beckons our voice because it takes two voices to be co-heirs. Can you even believe that? That this is real life? My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet. And your face is lovely. Those are some of my favorite verses in the song. He's so tender with her. And it reminds me of another invitation to rest in scripture. Do you remember the conversation between Moses and the Lord when Moses expresses insecurity in his promises to him? in Exodus 33, 12 through 23. They didn't match, though, what Moses was seeing in real life. 
So he tells the Lord that, you know, while he told him to lead his people up, he hasn't said who he's going to send with him. You know, he told Moses that he found favor with him, yet he hasn't taught him his ways. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses doesn't want to go anywhere without the presence of the Lord. And so he has a bold ask. He says, please, let me see your glory. You know, the Lord is gracious to give him a glimpse of himself. But he tells Moses that he cannot see his face. It's for his own sake at that time. For humans cannot see me and live, he says. So where does he put Moses? In the crevice of the rock. So he's protected. He's able to see the Lord's back as he passes by. And it was glorious. But now, it seems like we get a picture of the appropriate time to fully awaken love. Here is the Messiah calling his dove out of the clefts of the rock, of the crevices of the cliff, inviting us to see his glory. He's the one asking, let me see your face. You see that? It's an invitation to see his face with our face and live because Jesus. It's an invitation into his presence which will go with us and give us rest. You know, we don't have to look at the back anymore. We can see from the front. You know, real life was too much for us before, but we can look now and he will show us his ways. We have so much trouble seeing what is real. Here's what's real. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He pleads, let me see it. Let me hear it. How absolutely amazing is this? And the bridegroom, he doesn't just come for his bride and, and take her because he's a mighty stag or a gazelle, and, and so she's his for the taking. He speaks reality. He paints the picture. He evokes her senses, woos, coaxes, and sparks her memory with these echoes of his promises in his word so that she knows it's him. He's the one. And therefore, he would never just take. He waits for her voice. He gives. This all reminds me of a, a Malcolm Geit poem about the Annunciation. He too speaks about what we miss in reality and what we don't or won't or just can't see. And he writes about a similar moment in scripture when the angel announces the good news to Mary and he waits her voice. This is what he says. We see so little stayed on surfaces. We calculate the outside of all things. Preoccupied with our own purposes, we miss the shimmer of the angels' wings. They coruscate around us in their glory. 
the swirl of wheels and eyes and wings unfurled. They guard the good we purpose to destroy. A hidden blaze of glory in God's world. But on this day, a young girl stopped to see with open eyes and heart. She heard the voice, the promise of his glory yet to be as time stood still for her to make a choice. Gabriel knelt and not a feather stirred. The word himself was waiting on her word. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. I mean, sure, this is Mary, and, and we're no Mary. You know, this is her moment. She was special. But so are we. And I'm, I'm usually doing that. I'm usually just looking at the outside of things. I think of real life as, as the surfaces before me. I get all caught up in the drama of the day, the tasks before me, and what other people think about me. And I, and I miss the glory of real life the glory that God is working all around us, the spring that is blossoming even now in resurrection. I'm usually on the, the other side of the lattice. Every now and then I get a glimpse of the Lord's back when he passes by. But he calls us. He reminds us of spring. And he not only comes to us, he says, my dove, he's already within us. The Lord's presence is with us as he is directing us and transforming us for glory. And still, he waits for our voice as he bids us to speak. Yes, Mary was special. Like Moses, she was also just a young girl. And he waited on her word. We too are favored. We're the bride of Christ. Does it get any more favored than that? What did Mary speak? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Her consent must have coruscated with those angels' wings, reverberating all the way to heaven, her whole body filled with that joy. Jesus bids us to use our voices to testify about him. Was it not Mary's testimony about this moment that actually made it into Luke's gospel? I mean, how did Luke know these details? He said, let me hear your voice, Mary. And she said it again. But on this day, a young girl stopped to see with open eyes and heart, she heard the voice. She listened and looked. Ancient church father Gregory Anissa um, referred to the bride in the song as the teacher. And I couldn't agree more. You know, we, we need to learn from this woman. She represents us, who we are, where we're headed, you know, who we want to be there with. She gives us the words to say to God. Isn't that wonderful? I read the song sometimes and I think, oh, like I get to talk to God like this? I mean, she's bold. 
She's so immodest and blunt. She speaks her insecurities, her fears. She names her abuse. She asks him, like, where in the world are you right now? She makes her requests, and that's showing us how to cultivate our own desires. And she testifies to us, telling us what kind of man our Savior is. And we do need to learn from her. And in this scene, she stops to see. She heard the voice. She tells us, listen, look. Esther Meek calls beauty an event to which you are summoned to show up. Well, we are being summoned to show up to real life. But the bride is telling us that we need to stop looking at the outside of things. We even do this in church. We parse careful theological statements and, and we miss the love and the dynamism behind them. We state propositions about God, but we don't see. We're preoccupied with, with our own purposes and we miss the shimmer of the angels' wings coruscating around us in their joy. We need to be like the bride and, and like Mary and listen and look. And you know what? We need each other. We need our brothers and sisters to remind us to do this. We need summoned back to reality out of the cliffs of the rock, out of our fear, out of our shame. Things are not as they seem. Do you see the glory? that is ascribed to the woman, to you, to me, to the church. We help one another see. We make Christ's love visible. We remind his people where we're headed. And so we need to stop looking at the outside of things. We need to listen and look, hear the invitation. We are being summoned to know Christ in all that he has to show us, beautiful reality. It's so easy to get caught up in the striving, striving for a good reputation, striving for approval, striving for attention and recognition, for companionship, success, yeah, maybe children that turn out good, or maybe just to get through the day without losing it on someone. Where are you striving? What does that reveal about what you value? What story are you telling yourself right now about who God is and what he wants from you? When you're caught up in the hustle, you know, sit for a minute in the Lord's presence and, and listen and look for reality. Look for Christ in the faces around you. Be curious. Just stop to feel yourself breathe and take in the gift of the moment. This sermon is an invitation to experience God, to step back from the hustle and to pause with curiosity, to listen and to look for what's real, to hunt for Christ's presence all around you, in his word, in our singing, in baptism, at the table, in the faces of his people. You know, let beauty captivate us and, and tell the story 
our hearts already know and long for. Let springtime remind us that Christ, our bridegroom, is with us. Let's start hunting for reality, for beauty, uh, for what uh, Robert Jensen calls the present glow of the sheer goodness that will be at the end. Let's be like the bride and remind one another to listen and look for it. This sermon is an invitation to marvel and wonder in Christ's love, to come out from the clefts of the rock, from our fear and our shame, and to testify to God's presence and to help point others to it, to encourage one another with the words of Christ. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice because your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Let's pray. Father, we pray that through the Son and by your Spirit, you will open our ears to hear. You will open our eyes to see. Lord, may we be hunters of the bridegroom in one another's faces and even today in the liturgy of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.